So we're working through the book of Matthew. Two weeks ago, John Smith did uh, The Wise Men Coming to Visit Jesus. Last week, Tim um, did Gold, Frankincense and Myrrh. So we kind of had the nativity. Now, we're jumping forwards a long way now because there isn't any more in the book. We don't know an awful lot about what happened to Jesus from birth until he was about age 30. So we're jumping forward about 30 years. John the Baptist himself is probably around 30 himself at this stage. And it's just at the end of that period of silence, Jesus is about to come into the forefront and start his ministry, um, but not quite. Uh, that's next week. I won't spoil that. Um, and the location is the middle of nowhere, um, possibly a day's walk from anywhere. Um, it, it, it's not handy. It's not just down the road. And I don't know, has anyone been to see the Flying Scotsman while it's been here? People on this side again. I don't know what's with you guys. I'll be something for you in a bit, I'm sure. Um, I decided uh, with a colleague to take a day off work on Thursday and go and see the Flying Scotsman. Um, and as there were no tickets and no opportunity to go on the stations unless you had a ticket, you had to put a bit of effort in to see the Flying Scotsman. You had to get somewhere near the railway, you had to look at the timetable, you had to work out how you could see it. Has anyone else done this? So we thought, well, the obvious thing to do is go out on our bikes. So we'll go out for a little bike ride and we'll see the Flying Scotsman. So um, cycle route 45, we thought, roughly followed the river and the railway. Uh, we soon discovered what it does is it goes up a hill one side of the valley and then it comes down, crosses the railway and the river and goes up the hill the other side and then comes back and continues to do that until we ended up in Stourport. Um, we then found a canal and ended up in Kidderminster, Budley Hill, and then zigzagged all the way back to Bridge North. So um, the total trip was 47 miles. I'm still sore. And just as we got to Hampton Load on the way back, which if you know the route is, is nearly the end of this epic route we'd done, we eventually coincided times with the Flying Scotsman, so stopped in a gateway and waited. And I wish I'd put the picture on the screen of what we saw, but I haven't, it's on my phone. It turns out they only face one direction, and it was reversing towards us. <laughs> so we got a lovely sight of the back of the Flying Scotsman and the side of it in blur as it's kind of at face height. But people had to put in a similar amount of effort to go and see John the Baptist. Admittedly, we could have done it a little bit easier to see the Flying Scotsman, but um, we got a bit carried away. Um, any case, that's the setting, that's the background. And I've been thinking about why was John so outrageous, you know? What were the things that made him different and made him so upsetting to people in some cases, or so changing to other people? Um, he certainly wasn't like a polished TV evangelist. Um, he wasn't on demand 24-7 via iPlayer, streaming live, you know. We couldn't, can't just flick on and get the John the Baptist channel. Um, you, you had to take this long journey that we just talked about. You, you'd maybe have to stay the night somewhere and, and work out how you're going to eat and, and how logistics are going to work, get the childcare sorted. Um, and I don't think his clothing was really the TV evangelist look either, or, or even the Bridge North Baptist Church look of shirt and jeans, which is official. Um, I got told off for the shorts last time. Um, you know, camel skin clothing, leather belt, uh, locusts and honey as snacks. It's, it, it's, not, it's not normal. Uh, it was maybe a bit more normal then, but not the most comfortable thing. And in preparing for this morning, I said to Mark, so really great to have, you know, kind of John the Baptist here as people are arriving, baptistry open, snacking on his locusts, you know, preaching his message. It, 
it had really set the scene. And Mark said, well, I did ask Karen, can I dress up as John the Baptist? And Karen said, well, no one's going to want to see that. But I kind of wish he had. W- would you have enjoyed that? Yeah, I, I would have enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought Mark Fenson might have been a good candidate. You'd have been up for it, Mark? Yeah, I, I thought you'd have been up for it. We should have done it. Um, in any case, I don't think the physical things were actually the things that made John outrageous. That was just the setting. That was just the kind of the backdrop to this story. Um, I've learned a lot in reading about this, and I realized before preparing for today how little I knew about baptism and John's baptism and Jesus' baptism and, and how it all fits with the culture of the day and with us today. And uh, have we got any people who speak Hebrew? Anyone who can pronounce Hebrew? That's all right, then I'll have a go at this word. Um, so there's a Jewish practice that's called tevila. There's a distinct lack of vowels in Hebrew, so when you, when you look up how they're pronounced, they add some in for you, which helps a little. But tevila, T-E-V-I-L-I-A-H, um, is a purification ritual where you get, anyone guess? Immersed in water. And it's used, um, or it's required, among other things, for if you're somebody who's not Jewish, so you don't have Abraham as a descendant, you're not in the Jewish bloodline, but you want to become Jewish and follow uh, the God of Abraham, our God, then you go through this process of tevila, which involves a purification through being immersed in water. Um, in fact, it's actually running water that's not, um, that's not stagnant. It's running in, it's flowing out. Um, I said to Ruth that we don't really have the same here, but she points out we do. We have a tap and we have a plug hole. It's, it's not like a, a siding in the river, but it, it is the same. It flows in and it flows out. Um, unlike baptism, tevila is a repeatable thing. So people who are already Jewish or already of the faith might go through tevila in order to purify themselves from some sort of uh, ritual uncleanness. Um, so this wasn't an alien thing that John was doing to people around. It was actually something that they would be aware of. Um, but his message was different. Um, his message, as put in the message, was change your life, God's kingdom is here. Uh, it may be more familiar to some people in the NIV. It may be repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I quite like change your life instead of repent. I don't know what people think. Repent, you know, we kind of have to explain. It means turning around. It's not just saying sorry, etc. Change your life kind of implies there's going to be a change. It's not going to be the same again. Hello up there, sorry. There's a few up there too. If you sat over this side, it'd be balanced. My head would make sense. And this message of God's kingdom is near is also not alien to people. People know that the Jewish nation for generations have been waiting for the promised kingdom. They know the prophecies. They know what the Holy Scriptures say. And even the people who aren't Jewish know that the Jews are waiting. And it's almost a threat to some of the rulers and principalities in that day that there's going to be this kingdom, and it's going to be big. It's going to be strong. And what the Jews are waiting for is a king. They didn't really quite have the right idea for what this kingdom was going to look like but they were waiting for a king to come and rule them. Possibly, uh, the location in the wilderness was particularly relevant because 
Some of them thought from the prophecies that it might begin with another exodus. If we think back to the, the, the trip into the wilderness where Moses led them, um, some of them thought that there was going to be kind of a repeat. So when John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, people are maybe thinking, well, hey, this is it. We're in the wilderness. We're going we're gonna to get baptized and we're going to go. And there's going to be this exodus. So once again, not, not a massive... Uh, it's a surprise in that they've been waiting generations, but it's not a new message. Um, and it says that John has ordinary people. Um, does anyone know what ordinary people are like? Has anyone ever met ordinary people? I'd like to think of myself as ordinary. Mark or No, not Mark. Anyone here ordinary? Rosemary's ordinary. James, you're not. Your sister might be. <laughs> We're all ordinary people. Ordinary people encompasses people from all walks of life. And I was going to kind of try and reel off a list of the sort of people who might have been coming. But I think you can make your own list. It's not just the religious people, and it's actually not just the Jewish people. It's the people from the towns and villages that heard something was going on. It's the people that really like going to the railway regularly, and it's the ones who think, I've heard there's something good coming, I'll have a look. Turns out it's just like all the other trains. It just says something different on the side. Sorry, spoil it for you. Um, so we've got all these ordinary people coming. And actually, we're getting to the shocking thing now. Because the shocking thing is that John is letting everybody join the party. All the ordinary people. Um, John is, is some kind of um, teacher that people have been following. He's not just kind of one day set up camp in the desert. He's probably a bit like Jesus um, in that he had disciples. He's possibly called rabbi by people. Um, and he set up camp out in the desert. He's doing this, this, this ritual of baptizing in water that people would be familiar with, and he's offering it to the ordinary people. Whoever turns up, change your life. The kingdom is near. You interested? Do you want to change your life? Do you want a part of this new kingdom? You've got... You've got what currently exists, but if you want into this new big kingdom that's been prophesied about, that you've heard about in the Old Testament, that you've read about from Isaiah and, and lots of other people, then here's your chance to join in. If you're not Jewish, if you haven't got the bloodline, then this is your chance to join in. If you're already Jewish or if you're already a believer, then here's a chance to mark this turning around, purify yourself and join in with the kingdom, with this um, kingdom life. It's as if, as a church, we might offer baptism no strings attached, without a 25-week baptismal preparation class, without having you signed up for the 10-year discipleship course that starts immediately afterwards. That's how it works. No. Joking aside, it really wasn't an obvious joke, apparently. Um, we don't make you prepare for that many weeks. Um, I really like that something Graham's keen to do when we have a baptism is have clothes and a towel and say if there's anybody that wants to change their life today and start a new life, come and get baptised. Jesus said repent and be baptised. And I really, really like that we don't make it difficult for people, that we make it easy. Because that's what John was doing. And now we come on to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious leaders of the day. Um, 
I kind of didn't want to draw any comparisons because it might be unfair, but they're, they're Graham and Don. Um, they're bishops. They're the Pope. They're the religious leaders in whatever setting you want to put them. However, unlike our good religious leaders, um, they'd turned the scriptures into this kind of set of rules. So they'd translated what the scripture says, which I'm so keen to do so often. I would like to reduce the Bible down to a kind of a simple guide for living. I, I don't know if anyone else would prefer the Bible to be easier and just have maybe a, a smaller book of if you live like this. You know, you, th these are the kind of jobs you should do. This is how you should treat money. This is how you should treat relationships. And when this happens, maybe do that or feel good when, feel bad when. You know, I'd, I'd maybe find that simpler. Um, but as we know, the Bible isn't reducible to simple binary kind of decisions. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It's, it's all held in tension. But the, the religious leaders of the day have made it difficult for people. They've put stumbling blocks in the way, and they prided themselves as being seen as the most religious, most holy people. They've made all these rules, and only they really understood them and could make sure that they looked like they were doing just the right thing. Um, so when John, they, they came along and thought, well, this baptism looks popular. It's a nice sign of purification. It's public. There's loads of people. Let's join in. Why not? John absolutely tears them to pieces, doesn't he? Um, he says, it's not, it's not your skin that's got to change. This water is not going to help. It's not going to make the slightest bit of difference. It's about what's on the inside. It's about the way your life is happening. Um, he says, unless it, unless it looks good to other people, sorry, it's not what it looks like to other people, it's, it's what's on the inside. And then he even tears up their trump card, which is going to really upset them. You can't brag about having Abraham as your father. So the Pharisees and Sadducees would all come from the Jewish bloodline. And they're kind of going, well, you know, we're in by, you know, check my DNA, check my blood. You'll, we're in. And he says, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether you're Jewish by blood or who you are or where you've come from. It's what's on the inside that counts. Is your life blossoming and green? not in the superficial way, but in the living way. Um, and he points out that when Jesus comes after him, the kingdom's going to be within you, which is a first sign. It's not the kingdom they're expecting. This is a kingdom on the inside. Um, that it's going to burn like a fire and the dead wood will be burnt. So he's being quite, quite direct with them. Really, he's saying you've got some green on the outside, it looks good, but really the core's going to be burnt up. And that what's good is left and gets offered to God. In this way of holding back the punches, we know what happens to John. We can skip to the end. He ends up having his head cut off. But that almost seemed inevitable at this stage when you look at it like this. If we go around upsetting the people in situations of power, then it seems inevitable that uh, we might get hunted down. Um, I'm just going to take a moment to read a little story I read in a book this week that I found painfully challenging. And maybe you will, maybe you won't. But it got me right where I was. I remember seeing a sticker that said, if Christianity was illegal, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That evening I had, it was, had a dream that it was true and I was summoned before a judge. The prosecution had quite a case against me. They begin by offering the judge dozens of photographs which show me attending church meetings, uh, speaking at religious events and participating in various prayer and worship services. Next, they offer up as evidence 
some of the religious books that I've been reading, followed by some of my religious CDs and trinkets. After this, they step up the pace and reveal to the court many of the poems, pieces of prose, and journal entries that I have written about faith. Then in closing, the prosecution twists the bloody knife that they have skillfully used, offering my Bible to the judge. This is a well-worn book with scribbles, notes, drawings, and underlining throughout. Evidence, if it were needed, that I have read and reread this sacred book. Throughout the court case, I have been sitting in fear and trembling, saturated by sweat. I know that deep in my heart, that with the evidence against me, imprisonment or even death is a strong possibility. At various times throughout the proceedings, I have been on the verge of standing up and denying Christ. But while this idea haunts my mind, I resist the temptation and remain focused. Once the prosecution has finished presenting their case, the judge proceeds to ask if I have anything to add. But I remain silent and resolute, terrified that if I open my mouth, I might be weak enough to deny the charges made against me. I am then led away while the judge ponders my case. After about an hour, I am summoned back to the courtroom in order to hear the verdict and receive word of my punishment. The judge enters the room, stands before me, looks deep into my eyes and states, of the charges that have been brought forward, I find the accused not guilty. Not guilty? My heart freezes, then in a split second, my fear and terror are transformed into confusion and rage. Despite myself, I stand before the judge and demand that he tell me why I'm innocent of the charges in light of all the evidence. What evidence? He replies in shock. I start by pointing out the various poems and journal entries I have written, but he simply replies that they only show that I have a way with words. I then refer to the services I have spoken at, at worship meetings I have participated in, and the conferences I have attended. But again, he simply smiles and tells me that it is only evidence that I am a public speaker and a bit of an actor who pretends to be what he is not, nothing more. And then he says that such foolishness would never be enough to convict me. The dream ends as he looks me in the eye and says, as if informing me of a great, long-forgotten secret, the court is indifferent towards your Bible reading and church attendance. It has no concern for worship with words and a pen. Continue to develop your theology and use it to paint pictures of love. We have no interest in such church-going artists who spend their time creating images of a better world. We exist for those who would lay down that brush and their life in a Christ-like endeavor to create such a world. Let's give you a minute for it to sink in and reflect on it. Since reading that this week, I almost felt unable to come and do this today, really, <laughs> let alone read it without feeling like a hypocrite. I think we all probably feel the same hearing something like that. It is a massive challenge to me. Massive. But 
holding that against the story of John the Baptist we've just heard. Use it like a lens to view the story. There's two sets of people that have come and responded to John. There's the ordinary people who want to know what's going on. They're not coming to look good. They're not coming out of any falsehood. In sense, they're acting in truth and in reality. They're hearing a message and they're responding by getting dunked. And then we've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees who have come to look good. They hear this purification rituals going on and they want to be seen getting it in front of all the crowds. They're the people who, who make the rules to trip people up and make life difficult. And I was wondering for us and for me, who do I identify with in that group in my life? Who would I, you know, if John was there halfway down the Seven Valley today in the river in the middle of nowhere and I turned up, would I be turning up because I'm a sheep and I'm a sheep that wants to look good? Or would I turning up because there's something in here that knows there might be something out there that I need to receive? And I'll be completely honest with you today, I can identify with both groups. Sometimes it would be easy to do this and to say something challenging and to not challenge myself. To say something that sounds good and not have ever asked God about it. And today is a challenge to me because this has hit me and the way I think about the things I do in my life and, and the way God speaks and, and making sure that I'm on God's plan and not Richard Whitney's plan. And the really good news is, uh, Ruth said I had to finish with good news after that, um, is that actually John's message may have been pre-Jesus coming to the forefront, but his message, change your life, God's kingdom is here, is it true today? Ooh, if you're in America, I would enjoy the feedback occasionally. <laughs> Just occasionally. His message, God's, uh, change your life, God's kingdom is here, is absolutely true today. That is the good news. God's kingdom is here in a slightly more, uh, it was, sorry, his message was God's kingdom is near, and, and the message is that God's kingdom is here now. It, it's moved on ever so slightly, but it is very much at hand. The kingdom is at hand, and we're born into this kind of fleshy kingdom, this worldly kingdom, and we have the option of being converted, adopted, changed into joining in with the the spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of fire that burns on the inside. So if there's some of us here this morning that haven't been baptised and they do want to change, and we do want to change our, our fleshy life, our non-kingdom life, for the kingdom life, and want to become followers of Jesus Christ today, then this church would love you to do that and we'd love to support you in it. We promise not to put barriers in the way and to offer a helping hand if you'd like it. I said to Mark that the, the kind of obvious response to this message this morning would be baptism. But this was when we were talking last night and it would have been a bit much, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it would have been suitably outrageous to have the baptistry ready this morning. But if you've heard this message and you've not been baptised, maybe you're a believer, maybe you're not, but you want to get baptised and you want to start believing and following the way of Jesus then come and talk to us and um, we'll get you baptised as soon as we can. Maybe this evening. Seriously. If some of us have already been baptised, then we're not going to offer that again. 
But John's message is still just as relevant. This is a message we need to keep hearing. I need to keep hearing and being subjected to myself. The Christian life isn't about me being perfect so that I can receive Jesus. And the Christian life isn't about being perfect because I've received Jesus. The Christian life is about realising the state of my inside and knowing that I need Jesus. Jesus came and died so that we could enter the kingdom with no changes necessary. You're perfect for the kingdom. You're perfect to receive the gift that Jesus gave. And for me and for us, I pray that this message would change us on the inside today, that in the the words of John, that we would let the kingdom fire permeate our internal being and burn out the dead wood and offer what's living to God. That's a scary prayer. Do we really mean it? Do I really mean it? Am I really willing? I need to keep exposing myself to this message daily. John's message still stands. And it's probably why we meet together and come to listen to be challenged. That the kingdom is near. Sort your life out. Turn around. If you want to respond this morning, I'd love to pray for myself and uh, I'd happily include anyone else that would like to be prayed for. Um, Don't normally do this, but if you want to stand up to respond today, just to say, we we haven't got a baptism pool to put you through to kind of make that that commitment uh, visually to God or, or remember what you've done this morning. But if you want to stand up now and join in with this prayer, that's great. Um, don't be a sheep, do it for yourself this morning. I'm going to pray. If you want to stand, stand. Um, if not, stay where you are. Yeah, Father, this morning, I want to make a new commitment to following the way of Jesus. I want to do it from the inside. I don't want to make a commitment to behaving the way I think I'm meant to behave. I don't want to make a commitment to looking like my life is right. I want your kingdom living inside of me like you promised. I want your holy fire to come and burn in my heart in a way that removes the bits that aren't honouring to you, that aren't honest, that aren't based in reality. I want the kingdom life, not the fleshy life. And I want to do it with the Holy Spirit's help that you promised would come and help us, not because I'm sucking something up and trying hard. God, I don't want to settle for anything superficial. I want to settle for something that runs deep and affects my life. And I thank you, Father, that we are your body together, that it is us not me and you, not them. I thank you, God, that you do it with us and that we do it with each other. I thank you for the love that you've given us for each other and I pray that as you transform us from the inside, that that love would just be more and more evident. So, God, I just thank you for the words of John the Baptist and I thank you for for what we've heard this morning and I pray that what's from you would stick and what's from me would just burn away. Amen.